Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that my favorite murder doesn't want you to hear. (laughs) (laughs) It's Monkeys and Playbills, and we're talking about Bonnie and Clyde the Musical. That's Paul DeGers. And that's Jillian Willems. (laughs) Did you like that one? I really like that one. I think it's especially perfect that you would use that today because we are doing something very special, very different. It's a very special episode. We're back together. We're back in person. And there's a camera on my face. We're filming ourselves recording this episode. If you're very into supporting local artists, uh, local theater artists who have virtually no work right now. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh to keep from crying. We laugh to keep from crying. (laughs) We are recording in the incredible Crescent Arts Center, which has, you can probably hear the echo. There's a ton of room. We're very safely socially distanced, but we're actually in the same physical space, which is an incredible thing. It feels so good. And so over the course of the pandemic, a lot of, if not all, podcasts have had to um, pivot, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. and uh, started offering kind of similar glimpses into recording of podcasts. And My Favorite Murder is one of them. So, Oh, really? They do this kind of thing, hey? They do it. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Should we do it? Should we get into it? Into My Favorite Murder? I think so. Well, I mean... (laughs) Into Bonnie and Clyde, everyone's favorite love story, to celebrate this Valentine's Day. I think that's a fantastic idea. Because Valentine's Day right now when we're recording, this is Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we discuss Broadway musicals that had runs of 100 performances or fewer, not counting previews, on Broadway. And what the heck happened? And today we're talking about Frank Wildhorn's Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> began at the Schoenfeld Theater on November 4th, 2011. It opened on December 1st, 2011 and closed on December 30th, 2011 after 33 previews and 36 performances. That's really brutal. That's it's really no brutal. good at all. Because it had a tryout as well. Mm-hmm. It had a long, what was it, San Diego? There was a production in at La Jolla. So Christopher Ashley had a bit of a hand in this as well. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Yeah, there were a few uh, productions prior to Broadway, which we can get into in a little bit. Yep, totally. But I'd love to hear, um, I'd love to play the synopsis game with you. Great. All right. (laughs) For those of you just joining us for the first time, this is where I, Paul DeGerst, try to provide as concise of a synopsis as possible Mm -hmm. about what on earth we saw and listened to and read about this musical. Especially fun for a musical like this, which is a little meandering, to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, for a, for a musical about two murderous bank robbers, <laughs> doesn't move very quick. <laughs> it starts, and we have young Bonnie mm-hmm. and young Clyde. Bonnie wants to be a movie star, and Clyde likes guns. Yeah, we learned that very quickly. We learned that very on. quickly. These yeah. are critical traits. And then we jump, we skip forward in time. Older Bonnie still wants to be a uh, still wants to be a movie star. Yeah. Played by um, Laura Osnes. Correct. Um, who receives a round of applause when she appears on stage. Uh-huh. She still wants to be a movie star. Clyde uh, is also older. He's played by Jeremy Jordan. He receives a round of applause when he gets on stage. Correct. I'm not sure why, because he's not a star yet. I think there might have been one thing that he did prior. Like, I think they had maybe workshopped Newsies. Newsies had already been in paper mill. We'll get to that. Anyways, so he also gets a round of applause, is the point, and he still likes guns. Yeah, yeah. Honest to God, I'm having trouble from here. (laughs) They meet in a diner. 
Clyde's brother and his and his brother's wife are big in this as well. Their names are Buck and Blanche. Blanche. Yes. Absolutely. I literally have a page two pagefuls of notes about this show right now. Like a I'm family still, tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Buck has escaped from prison, but goes back to finish his um, prison sentence. Side note: I thought that um, they'd said maybe you should go back to Princeton. Stop. And I was like, no. oh great. <laughs> Great, Buck, that's good. That makes sense. You should. Go get your degree. Finish it up. <laughs> nope. Prison. You should go back to prison and finish your sentence because you escaped from prison. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't believe that was allowed, but yeah. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> then Clyde starts robbing places and starts mm-hmm. doing crimes. He gets sent to jail. He gets beaten up and abused in jail. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's very upset about that, so he kills yeah. the person who's abusing him. Then he escapes from jail. Oh, throughout all of this, Bonnie and Clyde, they've been, they've got like a love-hate thing. They fight and then they, um, they have sex. Although it's not very sexy. There's, there's not the most yeah, um, no. chemistry in the world, but we'll talk about that as well. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> then, there's like a at some point we finish act one. Yeah. This is as well as I can remember this. Um, at some point in act two, Blanche and um, Bonnie sing a duet together about their partners who yeah, are criminals. Yeah, they do. And then towards the end of the show, they finally form the, the Barrow Gang. Yes. Which is the famous, the famous gang that Bonnie and Clyde were the heads of mm-hmm. with Blanche and Buck. And that's the, like the last 10 minutes of the musical, if that. Yeah. Buck dies. Yeah. Buck gets killed, which is also accurate to real life. And then that's literally the last, one of the last scenes. And then Bonnie and Clyde ride off into the sunset, ready to be killed. But they, we don't see that. But we know what's about to happen. Look, so, so let me ask you this. Before you do the plot synopsis, mm-hmm. when you think of Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. what do you think of? Two young adults who saw no other possible out from the Great Depression and their lives in the Dust Bowl, but to rob and murder and then be famous. Yeah. Because they're egomaniacs. Yeah, I think so. But there's also, there's also the car, right? They get, there's sure, a shootout that's behind iconic. the car. And they, yeah. um, that killed them. And then, because then the car got toured around to like county fairs and shit. That's right. I forgot yeah. about that part I, of that, it. that was the big thing in my head. So when the, when the musical ended without that or anything sure. like that, I was like, oh. I think oh. there were some images projected of that, right. which actually surprised me because I was like, that's a pretty gory thing when we all kind of know the end that you feel you have yeah. to show us. Anyways, we'll get to all, we'll get to all of <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. First of all, I just described the most boring musical on the planet. What does MTI have to say? Okay, so I found it on MTI shows because it had the um, funniest synopsis. <laughs> so this would be for, for companies that are actually looking to license and perform Bonnie Correct. and Clyde. Yep. So here's how they market this show. America's most notorious lovers and bank robbers take the country by storm in this sexy and compelling adventure. Mm. When Bonnie and Clyde meet, their mutual cravings for excitement and fame immediately set them on a mission to chase their dreams. Their bold and reckless behavior turns the young lovers' thrilling adventure into a downward spiral, putting themselves and their loved ones in trouble with the law. Forced to stay on the run, the lovers resort to robbery and murder to survive. As the infamous duo's fame grows bigger, their inevitable end draws nearer. The end. So pretty much what I said. Yeah, like sexy... <laughs> compelling. <laughs> compelling adventure. And that's it. That's, oh. that's the show. There it is. Yeah, so even the, even the synopsis doesn't, can't provide much of a synopsis. No. And doesn't even mention the two like, secondary principles. No, Which is Blanche and Buck. 
Uh, should we like talk a little historical context here? I would love to. It's this is one of those shows that makes me question why do we do what we do? Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's talk historical context. Jill, mm-hmm. let me tell you about who Bonnie and Clyde were. So Bonnie and Clyde were real people in the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And as far as actual historical beats go, this show is not far off. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, um, it takes some, obviously some major liberties with the actual um, emotional context. Yeah. Which we have no way of knowing necessarily, or very few ways of knowing. But Bonnie and Clyde were absolutely uh, young people um, linked together romantically, although never married. Both grew up very poor, were both driven by a desire for fame and for notoriety, as well as wanting to escape poverty, and formed a gang of criminals alongside Clyde's brother, Buck, and his wife, Blanche. There was a few other members of the Barrow gang, because that's Clyde's last name, Barrow. Right. And then I didn't realize Blanche was a real person. Absolutely. Clyde absolutely did go to um, go to prison, and while he was uh, while he was there, that's where he killed his first person in prison. In prison, oh, he killed okay. um, someone who was um, who was abusing him. Just like just like the musical, this is all this is all right on. Correct. Um, yeah. And then they get out, or Clyde gets out of prison rather, hooks up with Bonnie. I thought he was paroled originally. I think that's right. But they don't do that in the musical because that's not a cool thing for a musical. No, exactly. We don't want the real legal that's not, system That's not on sexy display. enough. Yes. Yeah, it's not sexy yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went on a bank-robbing, murderous rampage. And you look it up and you read the, uh, read the history, they were not good people. No. They killed a lot of people. They killed really gruesomely. One of the, they became really kind of infamous, not only because they were these, um, this gang on the run at a time where they were declared like public enemies. Right. But also because the authorities found undeveloped film of pictures they had taken. Mm. They'd done like a fun, sexy photo shoot because they're kids, right? They're like sure. 20 years old or whatever. And these photos got published in the paper. You can look them up. It's very fascinating. It's the, There's like a beautiful photo of them that if you didn't know necessarily who they were, you'd be like, that's so adorable. These sweet, young well, kids. I mean, in general, it's exactly that. There's like yeah. the famous photo of, it's like Bonnie posing. She's got a gun and she's got a cigar. And yeah, she's kind of doing totally. like a, yeah. <laughs> and there's another one where it's like, I think it's like Bonnie's fake holding up Clyde and Buck or something like that. Right. And it's just, they're just kids dicking just around. Sweet. But then they horrifically killed a lot of people mm-hmm. and Buck got horrifically killed as well. Um, yeah. We're, we're not my favorite murder, so I'm not going to get into exactly what happened, but it's <laughs> like really sobering. It's not a, mm-hmm. definitely not a romantic story. It's really tragic and they were cold-blooded killers. There was like a movie that came out a couple of years ago, I think, about... The Highwaymen. Yeah, that one. And I did watch it. And the thing that really struck me about the story of Bonnie and Clyde was the fact that they were able to continue to go home to visit their families through their murderous rampages. And I don't know if it's because the technology at the time just like, I mean, there would be no way to track them the way that we could now. But I'm just thinking like they had the audacity to go home for holidays. You know, Bonnie t- to see her mom. Right. And then the cops are like, when did you see her? She's like, oh, she looked fine like two weeks ago. Yeah. And then you're like... Eh, w- <laughs> also, Bonnie's mom, Bonnie's killing a lot of people. Yeah, like, like do you, something. Do you want to say... Yeah, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. So it definitely, their relationship continues to baffle me. It is fascinating. <laughs> it's a very fascinating story. I've, I'm not sure if I've ever agreed with... The telling it of as like a tragic love story of like yes. a Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. young lover, star-crossed lovers doomed. Yeah. Um, I think something like The Highwaymen, which I believe is, I haven't seen it, but it's about the cops track, who are tracking mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde. Correct. Is a cooler way to explore what a fascinating 
little bit of history they are. Absolutely. And it gives you an idea about maybe why they would have done the things they did or what would have like catapulted them into that life, which is what I'm always interested in finding out. I want an explanation. Like I don't just want a glorification. Totally. Which is full disclosure, neither of us have seen the Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway movie either. Correct. Because the reputation as well is that it's very much just is the same deal as this, this star-crossed lovers glorifying mm-hmm. um, what was a pretty brutal crime spree. I don't even know what I would compare it to, like making a freaking Jeffrey Dahmer movie where he's really cute. <laughs> oh, you mean like what they did for the Ted Bundy movie starring Zac Efron? That's what I was yes. Oh, the bit's ruined. That's what I was trying to do. I forgot oh. it was Ted Bundy and not Jeffrey Dahmer. This okay. defies a bit. If you, There's a serial killer <laughs> out there. Someone wants to bone them. I'm sorry to be the one to break this to you. It's no good. It's no good, no good, no good. <laughs> I would love to chat with the two of you further about that film and another time yes, because yes, I have so many feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is now a true crime podcast yeah. where we talk about serial killers and rate them from hot or not. Yeah. <laughs> hot or not serial killer edition. <laughs> okay, so well, why on earth go. did they make this a musical, Jill? Actually, it was your pal Frank Wildhorn's oh, idea. Oh, good bud Frank. Yeah, thanks for this, Frank. Absolutely. Dear friend of the podcast, <laughs> Frank Wildhorn. Uh, so my understanding was that Frank Wildhorn knew he wanted to write a musical about Bonnie and Clyde, but it began as a song cycle. Fascinating. So they recorded something like 12 songs in a studio. Sure. And then at some point, someone was like, oh, let's develop this. Right. Because these 12 songs aren't enough. Let's do a full show. Did any of those 12 songs, are they still in the show? A couple of them are. Oh, that's so cool. In different ways. Yeah. In my head, I can pick out which songs would come from a song cycle about Bonnie and Clyde. Right. Um, we'll talk about that when we get to the music, though. Woohoo. So, they, he makes a song cycle. Yeah. And some producer is like, let's develop this further. Totally. So, Roundabout Theatre does a reading of it in Great. 2009 okay. with Laura Osnes. Yeah. So, she's been with this production since the beginning. Sure. And Stark Sands. I knew this. Yes. Isn't and that I was wild? Like, Genius. That's such a great choice. Yeah. I'm a big Stark Sands yep, fan. Absolutely. And it's really hard to say his name, but. I'm a big fan. And then in 2009, the La Jolla Playhouse did a production. Mm -hmm. So um, we've talked about them before and Christopher Ashley specifically. They develop musicals like nothing. It's really cool. Exactly. La Jolla Playhouse is awesome. Yeah, they've been kind of the vessel, the producing vessel on so many great productions and a few not so great ones. And that's okay. You know what I mean? (laughs) I I would never fault them for, you know, development isn't about hit after hit. Development is about nurturing development. Yeah, and it's really cool to look at that and to trace it. I think it's a really cool relationship to have built. Um, So they do this La Jolla production in 2009 as well. So I think it must have been like early 2009 was the reading. A little later was the first production. And then it did really well, apparently. Yep. And then it transferred to Sarasota, Florida, which is really interesting. Frank Wildhorn in Florida interconnected like in some bizarre, some bizarre way. Yeah, okay. So it transfers <laughs> to Florida and gets a production there. So it goes there. to Florida and, yeah. again, does quite well there. And so at that point, there were, you know, whispers of a, a Broadway transfer, yep. but nothing concrete. And then finally in 2011, early on in the year, they were like, okay, let's do it. Let's go to Broadway. In my research as well, I found this production, everyone really liked it until Broadway. So I have a theory about that, and it has to do with geographic location. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, Florida, I think, likes guns. And so in my <laughs> mind, I'm like, 
okay, and then like maybe New Yorkers don't like guns as much. Like maybe it's not as big of a thing. No. The further north you go, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This is just me speculating, but like. I wonder if that had anything to do with it. I think it must have had some kind of more rewrites or something, though. Oh, probably. I think they did add, like, a couple of songs or switch songs from Florida to New York. And we'll, um, we'll get into what exactly happened, but it's mm-hmm. so dull. This is the least interesting musical we've talked about. It's not a spectacular disaster. It is mind-numbingly boring. <laughs> so, my favorite part about this... One thing I love is the La Jolla Playhouse also is responsible for Escape to Margaritaville. Yes! Which, sadly, we'll never get to talk about because it hit 124 performances. And so nothing makes sense in the world. Right? Um, And then uh, the other thing I love about Bonnie and Clyde is that I guess it's, it's like an international sensation as far as like stories go. And so there were productions like all over the world. Like, it's been translated into German and Japanese. It has a life. As far as, like, production history goes, I think that sets us up quite nicely to talk about what we saw on Broadway. We've beaten around the bush long enough. I think we have to actually talk about this we show. We have to address it. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the music, lyrics, and book. So the book for Bonnie and Clyde was written by Ivan Menchel, music by Frank Wildhorn, lyrics by Don Black, and the music was arranged and orchestrated by John McDaniel. I have trouble with Frank Wildhorn as a composer. Mm -hmm. That said, this is not a podcast meant to dunk on people we don't like. So I'll just really quickly sum up in general. I think that Frank Wildhorn has had a very bizarre career. He kind of struck gold this one time with Jekyll and Hyde. And I think it made people think that he's much more skilled than he is. Right. I think in general, his songs are at best, this is how I'm feeling. They represent a unemotional stasis for the character rather than actually moving them through any kind of action. And even when they do move them through some action, for example, with um, Raise Some Hell um, in um, in this musical, which is Clyde being in prison very upset and deciding to kill someone. The journey is simplistic at best. Yeah, it is very reminiscent of Jekyll and Hyde in that way. I think that this is the moment from Jekyll and Hyde is the most pointless 10-minute song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but people love it. People go In isolation, nuts. though. <laughs> um, all of this to say, what did you think of the music? Okay, so I need to, for my brain, separate the music and the lyrics. Absolutely. Because they're, they almost didn't belong together. Yeah, absolutely. So musically, I thought it was familiar, at times pleasing. Yep. Um, it wasn't difficult to like, to trace anything. So, so there's something, it's catchy, I guess, in that it's way. It's very catchy. That's Frank Wildhorn's strength. Yeah. It'll get stuck in your head forever. So it is really like an earworm for sure. Yeah. And I think that's the, the good part. Yep, I agree. I don't love songs that are just like only feelings. And you you talked a little bit about how yep. that's just like kind of what Frank Wildhorn does. And I think that makes it difficult to have a productive and concise musical when the yeah, the story is not being addressed through the songs. It's what kills the action in the track in its tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, virtually everything in this musical is a problem, but I would say 
It's the fact that the musical, that all the songs, every time we hit a song, things just grind to a halt. Yes. Even something like um, Raise Some Hell. That friend of the podcast, Candace, rightfully pointed out, song for song is probably one of the best songs in the show. Yeah, because something actually happens. Yeah, and it's a nice song. It's a ni- nicely constructed. Jeremy Jordan sings the hell out of it. Even still, after the first <laughs> little bit, after being like, this is a good song, I was like... Oh, it's still going. It's still happening. Let's get out of here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think because it does happen toward the end of Act One, you're sort of like anticipating the intermission. So there's a little of that feeling as well. Okay, I want to hear about that song at the hair salon. I want to talk to you about Mama Says. Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) It's called something Um. else. I don't even know the name of the song, but it really no. bothered me because it's like, you've got to go back to jail. Like, it was so <laughs> silly. It was so silly. I was like, what is going on? And it's like, no one's fault because the actors are actually trying so hard. <laughs> no, it's definitely someone's fault, but it's not the actors. No. They're working their asses off. I was like, we don't need a song about fuck oh, going back to jail. Oh, Lord. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of everything feels, it feels like a patchwork quilt. Mm-hmm. Thematically, mm-hmm. that feels like it's been pulled out of some other musical. Totally. Um, there's <laughs> bizarre style choices where I wrote like, there's that baptizing song. Oh, yeah. Where at the end of the baptizing song, Clyde gets sent to jail for the first time. Yeah. And it's like this sexy funk thing. Yeah. It's just all wrong. <laughs> it is the worst possible choice you could make. Soon after that, I've got written, Oh Good, Another Ballad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I was, I'm sure, after like the fourth ballad in a row. Was that in his eyes or was that someone like you? Sure, yes, Bo- correct. Those are both from Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> the, answer is, the answer is those are both from Jekyll and Hyde and they sound exactly like the ballads in this show. There's just one more thing yeah. about this music specifically that yeah. really bothers me is I do not like in a musical when someone in the musical in their real life has a good singing voice and in order to prove to us that Bonnie in real life can sing, not just in her head, Clyde is like, hey, sing me something. Oh and she's like, Lord. no, I don't want to sing in whatever accent they're doing. And then... <laughs> and then <laughs> we'll get to that. And then, and then he's like, no, I need to hear it. I need to hear you sing. And then a song comes on the radio and she sings it. And I'm just like, I don't... We know she can sing. We've been watching her sing for 90 minutes. Like, do we need How About a Dance? Because it's also supposed to be foreplay. Yeah, Right? They're correct. leading up to um, having, um, having sex for the first yeah. time. And she it's read the him least the sexy foreplay yeah. song you've ever heard. <laughs> also, there was lots of banjo. So much banjo. Also, the opening song felt like it had been going on for 20 minutes. Because it did. Because it went on for actually 20 minutes. And it was the most boring opening number I have ever seen in a musical in my yep. life. Yeah. And that includes like little two-handers. That includes one-person musicals. That yeah. includes <laughs> concerts. You know what? I don't know what else yeah. to say. Out of 10 monkeys, how many playbills would you give Frank Wildhorn's score? Like a four and a half? Sure. Fair enough. I'd say three. Let's say oh, three. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so we're at about a 3.75. 3.75. A comfortable 3.75. See, this is a problem though, because there's no denying the music is better than the lyrics. 110%. True line from... Raise Some Hell, the best song in the show. I haven't killed, but now I'll have to. <laughs> and that gets us... Says who? Says Clyde. Says you, yeah. Says, no, 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 I oh, know. Right, yeah, yeah, totally. like, <laughs> oh, darn, now I gotta do a murder. Now I yeah. gotta do it. And this is a major turning point. This, yeah. is, his, this is the moment. Just so strange. Because since the beginning, he's been talking about how much he liked guns. Well, he loves guns. He can do anything with a gun. the first scene. Like, I can do anything know? with a gun. Except kill people, I'd never do that. That's where I draw the line. That's where I draw the line. What are the other uses of guns? Yeah. (laughs) Ugh.
These lyrics are a disaster. Oh, a complete disaster. Yeah. I was like trying to find a good one and I couldn't. Yeah, like actually. Maybe in, okay, maybe in that song, uh, Dying Ain't So Bad, is yeah. that a... I've coached this a lot with students, right. and um, you know, it's like a, a music festival special these sure. days. Eleven um, o'clock number. Eleven o'clock number, absolutely. But that one, I think, maybe has the most potential for us to find a lyric that we don't hate. Yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> like the first one, "Dying ain't so bad." Not a few, not a few can live forever. Is that what it is? Can't even right. remember. It's like I said, I've like... coached it like twelve times. the 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 idea is it's it's Bonnie's hope for notoriety. Yeah. And notoriety over life even yeah like the being backed into a corner and making a decision yeah. and to me i'm like oh wow great we finally have a song where there's a choice made so when we <laughs> talked about the concept album i was like there's no way dying ain't so bad wasn't the first song written for this show there's no way that frank wildhorn did not write dying ain't so bad and be like this is good yeah <laughs> i should write a whole musical about yeah. this <laughs> yeah i don't have much more to say ben brantley has something to say about the music you know ben brantley also didn't love this show and so ben brantley wrote uh, rather, he called the music mildly tuneful. Yep. Which I agree with. Mildly tuneful is exactly what it is. Then also mentioned that Wildhorn is, quote, politely restrained for a production that you might have expected to bring out his most lurid side. So I thought that was accurate to both music and lyrics. I agree. Because I think it was very tentative as far as the lyrics go. So out of 10 monkeys, what would you give these lyrics? Who? I agree. <laughs> They're not as openly offensive as mm -hmm. Leap of Faith, which we covered last week. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe we got, we got two bad ones back to back. It's a bad one. It's a bad, a you bad know what? time. I don't even feel bad for us because we didn't have to see them. But some people saw both of these shows in the same season in New York. Those are the people I feel bad for. More on that. Those yeah. are the real victims. <laughs> More <here>. on that <laughs> later. Bonnie and Clyde's latest victims. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree with two. I can't believe someone got paid a lot of money to write that. Like, oh are you kidding me? Oh. I have Why? a quote that I really want to read, you guys. I'm, lo I'm looking up, this is from the Tampa Bay Times, um, talking about the history of Bonnie and Clyde the musical. Um, so this is from director of the workshop, uh, this, when it was a song cycle, Jeff Calhoun, talking about Dear the friend. original songs that Frank Wildhorn sent him. The three songs Frank gave me were amazing. You'd never know it was a Frank Wildhorn score. Ah! <laughs> oh my god. That's the that best thing ruthless. I've ever heard. Jeff, you bitch. Wow. Jeff, tell us how you really feel. We're going to talk about Jeff later. Does Jeff want to hang out? It sounds like him and I see eye to eye on this at least. Jeff might want to talk about this show. Okay. Before that, though, can we just get through the book? Oh, yeah, my let's Lord. Just get this whole friggin' show. Ugh. Okay. The book Ivan Menchel. He's got no other Broadway credits, I believe. Uh, he Additional materials on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And, um,. He wrote a play called The um, Cemetery Club that played for a couple months in 1990. Great. I think that says a lot about uh, what we're dealing with as a script here. Is this the horniest musical that is not sexy? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This musical is so horny and so unerotic at the same time. <laughs> uh, and I can't figure out, like, what is not sexy about it. Like... Jeremy Jordan and Laura Oz, they don't have a ton of chemistry with each other. I think that's other. part of it. They're both very beautiful people in their own right. But I think the book is probably the thing that everyone had to fight against the most to make this play something. And they're fighting hard. <laughs> okay, let's do some greatest hits really quick. Okay. I've got some notes here. Um, first one off the, off the opening number, we've got 
um, Bonnie, young Bonnie's been singing. Mm -hmm. And then a boy enters. Yay. And I wrote, who could that be? Steve? <laughs> and then someone's like, oh, Clyde, you love your gun. Yeah. <laughs> Flawless character introduction. Flawless character. Seamless. I mean. So for a little bit of context for the listeners at home because uh you too should if you want a good laugh yeah. go and watch this um bootleg <laughs> but i will say that structurally this book is less of like big chunks of scene work and it's more like tiny scenelets yeah like half a page even. Absolutely. It really moves along at a clip and not in a way that anyone can follow. And yep. I'd love for us to maybe talk about if you disagree, but I think you will see what we saw, which was just a bunch of confused actors trying to move about the space and yeah. also tell a cohesive story. Tell a story where there is no story. We start at the top and Bonnie wants to be an actress and yep. wants to be famous and Clyde loves guns. <laughs> and I suppose... <laughs> That's it. That's the characters. That's, it. That's all. And I suppose the development is how they get to a life of crime, but it, like if if it's interesting to watch people character development that like crosses a valley, this is just like a minute push. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a creek. It's a creek at, yeah. at best. <laughs> Blanche, the secondary character who everyone keeps forgetting, keeps on calling Buck Daddy. Oh yeah. And we just sort of have to be there for it. And like, yeah. Like, that, at like, that point, you're like, is this an absurd exercise? Yeah. Is this? <laughs> That's when it started coming around on me and it's like, this is, I think it's crossing over into so bad it's good. Like if this was a movie, we would Mystery right. Science Theater 3000 it, you know what I mean? True story. So when we were watching this, I, I, I was the first person to pick up that Blanche was consistently calling Buck Daddy. So I was like, am I mishearing it? Is she actually no. calling him Danny? No. And then I had to look up what the character's name was and I, and I was like, oh, oh no. It's distressing to me that I'm the only one in the room noticing this is happening. Yeah. Help yeah. me. So, so my theory is there's this song by, I think it's Cole Porter, actually. Okay. Called My Heart Belongs to Daddy. I have no doubt that it was definitely like a 1920s, 1930s exactly. thing. But it doesn't make it any less jarring to the contemporary ear. It super yeah. does not. Like, ugh, Like they could alarm. have at least just addressed it a bit or something. I don't know. Or just don't. Or just don't do it. <laughs> Easy. But I guess maybe this uh, book writer was trying to like differentiate between the characters' voices, and the only way that they knew how was to like <laughs> slip in a few nicknames. I don't know. There's oh. this really lame. <laughs> we've found this a lot in the, especially in the bad Broadway musicals mm -hmm. that we've um, covered here. Um, especially this is endemic of the mid to late 2000s, and I call, yes. I've called it like a. We saw it in Amelie, especially like a Broadway audience joke. Yes. And this, the, there's one in this one where they keep fighting over, is it Bonnie and Clyde or Clyde, Clyde and, and Bonnie? Bonnie. Yeah. And it's, um, oh they're God. holding people up at one point, people who in real life they killed brutally. People died, guys, come on. Yeah, and, like, what is the, <laughs> read yeah. the room. Oh, uh, uh, and they're, you know, what do you think sounds better, Bonnie and Clyde or Clyde and Bonnie? And the audience is like, oh, ho, 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 I'm glad I spent $150 yeah. on this. <laughs> Let's go to the Statue of Liberty after this. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, God. So. Hate it, hate it, hate it. But the fact that they're using this trope of like, because you always sit down and you go, what's the message? What are we trying yeah. to say when we do this show? You got uh, it. One would hope that they did this. I'm just, maybe that's they pretty, didn't. That's a pretty in, 
integral part of any kind of creative process, right? Sure. What is the reason for doing what yeah. we're doing? Why are we doing this yeah. now in 2011? If I were in that meeting, the meeting would have played out like this. <laughs> Frank Wildhorn would have been like, well, this is the story of good and evil. So that's what we should do. And so the whole play tries to find the relationship between good and evil. So they have this weird like thing where they show this pious town (laughs) all the time. Like they just keep coming back to like, oh, remember that everyone around them is really religious. Right. Yep. So totally. And then look how bad they are by comparison. That's a really interesting way to look at it, actually, Jill. I hadn't looked at it that way at all. That's so, so fascinating. So it really is troublesome that that's all that they could kind of think to address. Yeah. Is like, the, it was just so general. And yeah. I'm like, there's no way we're going to mine anything out of this. Yeah. And Ben Brantley tries to, in his review, tries to find maybe what they were trying to do. Yeah. But he can't even really pinpoint it. And also brutally boring. Like, all of that aside, you know, there's, there's boring plays that ha- say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't go see them personally, but they, yeah. um, they yeah. at least they say something. This show says nothing, and it says it in a really boring way. Totally. So Ben Brantley wrote, quote, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde manages to make that triple threat lure of sex, youth, and violence seem about as glamorous as, and a lot less dangerous than, Black Friday at Walmart. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. It addresses what, where, what I started with. This is the least sexy, yeah. <laughs> crazy, horny music. Everyone's straddling each other and it's yeah. crime is sexy, crime turns me on. Yeah. Uh, so it's boring. All this to say. All this to say. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys do you give this book? Like two. It's useless. Yeah. <laughs> because two points for there were lines and people said them on stage. Yes, exactly. Woo. Good news, guys. It's almost all uphill from here. I guess we'll have to see. So it's been a very cold week it's in been brutal, Winnipeg. Brutal. But our hearts were warmed last uh, a couple days ago, Just a couple actually. Days ago now, yep. When we spoke with our friends uh, in Ontario, I guess is where they are. I think Kyle's in Ontario, Jen's in New York. <gasps> yeah. And who are they? Uh, Jen and Kyla, who host the podcast Tits and Teeth, which is a podcast where they sit down with other Canadian theater professionals and talk to them about their process, about their experience. They were, um, they were nice enough to have us on to talk for just a few minutes. Yeah. And it was really wonderful to connect with fellow um, podcasters who have a theater focus as well. Absolutely. There's going to be an ad for them at the end of this episode. Y'all, you should check out their podcast. It's really, really good. It's really fun. And if you like what we do here, it's a similar kind of casual talk, talking about things we all love together, connecting with people. Direction and choreography by Jeff Calhoun. Yes. Musical direction by Jason Howland. Associate director was Coy Middlebrook, and the assistant directors were Corey Brunish and J. Scott Lapp. Assistant directors especially, you wonder, like they might have had a pretty heavy hand in this, you know what I mean? It might have been that weird situation of right, like... Right, where it just kind of gets past... Jeff Calhoun's along, not you know? around, so they're trying to do this, but they can't... We've Make been in those positions like... as assistants, right? Oh, that's where so it's true. Like, so am I, am I leaving the show now? That like, happens. No, I'm not, but like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Jeff Calhoun, what's going on? Okay. You directed so, Newsies, it was okay. What's going on Okay, here? so Jeff Calhoun <laughs> actually has a pretty amazing story that sure. I did not even know about. This nice. is a person I don't recognize their name. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, ah, oh, yes, great theatrical director, Jeff Calhoun. Like, not a thing. So Jeff Calhoun was both athletic 
and a dancer. Great. Because oh. you can't be both, right, right, Wikipedia? Was his heart in the game yeah. but not in the song? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so he had to make a choice. And I believe it was the summer of 1970, he met Tommy Toon while they were oh, cool. dancing together in a, some sort of show in Ohio. Fascinating. Yeah, and so they kind of began a, a long friendship. And so Tommy Toon hired him to as a performer for uh, Best Little Whorehouse Tour. Cool, yeah. Yeah, and then after that, he... Calhoun continued to perform and to like move toward like associate directing and, and choreography. Sure, yeah. Uh, work. And so Toon and Calhoun. I there know, you go. Like it. Oh, yeah. It's got a nice ring. <laughs> I remember uh, you had that like double underline on your, <laughs> on your notes. No, I don't. But I, I said it out loud like earlier today and I was like, I love this team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so they collaborated together on the uh, Will Rogers Follies, which is arguably the most recognizable of Toon's yeah. work, I would say. I, it's I would like agree. iconic imagery and Absolutely. like intricate movements. So yeah. Calhoun was the uh, associate choreographer on I it. I didn't know that. Yeah, which wow, is really, wow, wow. really fascinating. That's so cool. Um, and then uh, Calhoun's directorial debut was for 1992's production of Tommy Toon Tonight. I think it's kind of wonderful that they chose Jeff Calhoun to direct that because of their relationship. It's kind of perfect. Since then, he's done a lot of musical theater direction and choreo. So Grease Revival, Newsies. He also did in 2013, so just after Newsies, the revival of Frank Wildhorn's Jekyll and Hyde. So that's what I learned about Jeff Calhoun, and I thought it was definitely worth sharing. So Jill, you said at the same time he was doing Newsies. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw Newsies yeah, on me too. Broadway. So just the very end of Jeremy Jordan's time there. Right, I was going to say All of this he to left, say, yeah. Dude, I saw Newsies. It was good. Yeah. And it, but it's a lot, it would have been a lot of work. How on earth did Jeff Calhoun manage to... Well, walk me through the timeline here. To split his focus? Right. He didn't, <laughs> is the answer. Because he, he did, did this, not. the big old, big old Newsies production at the Paper Mill Playhouse mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And then in between that and Newsies going to Broadway, they do this whole other show, not only with Jeff Calhoun, but with the star of Newsies, Jeremy Jordan, yep. also stepping into Jekyll and Hyde. Not Jekyll and Hyde, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde, same thing. So if we want to talk about a problem with this show and the, the fact that it seems like no one cares. Yeah, nobody cares. It seems like no one cares. No one had time to care. Yeah. I think it's my my thing. I'm like, I don't think Jeff Calhoun, director and choreographer of Bonnie and Clyde, cared or had time to care about Bonnie and Clyde when there is something bigger. It's a Disney property, Newsies. Yep. That would take a lot of your focus. Yeah. I would imagine. And it's a mad choreo show. And his choreo is wonderful. Yes. It's all young men jumping up and down, yep. left and right. Banging their um, chests. Similar similar deal. Paper. We'll get to it in the design, but um, tank tops and suspenders left and right. Projections. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. It was cool. I'm glad I saw Newsies because it means that I know he can choreograph. Because I certainly didn't get that sense from this. Yeah, no. No, not at all. He got a chore- choreographer's salary and credit for this. <sighs> What's your favorite part of the choreo? Um, imagining that it... <laughs> the opening of Act Two. Yeah. There's some knee moves. There's like a pulse. They like they like pulse their knees. Yeah. That's the only choreo I recorded. <laughs> There's another <laughs> choreographic move. I'm glad we're on for this is for Patreon subscribers only. Um, Show this me. was um, and I think it's I also used in Newsies. Newsies is called the slap and slow arm. Stop. Where they that's not they what it's actually called. They slap their thighs and they slowly reach out. 
And then there was it, like a it works best gospel-y if you yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> thing. For those of you who are listening to this audio-based medium, let me just do a quick visual description of what's going on here. Yeah. So Paul is slapping his legs and very slowly doing like kind of a doubled-armed like yep. Superman pose. Imagine me in a tank top and suspenders Suspender. and Jeremy Jordan arms. And <laughs> Jill was holding up her arms and kind of waving her hand, like doing, yeah. doing spirit fingers kind of back and forth in the air. Yep. Again, audio-medium. And that's about it. Yeah. I think... That happened in terms of choreo? I've got written now, why isn't anyone dancing? These ladies in the salon should be dancing. Right, because yeah. when you see that there's a choreographer, I'm waiting for a dance break, yeah. and I didn't get a dance break. Not a thing. Not even in the musical number, how about a dance? How yeah, about no. a dance? How Not about even a, a nice dance, gentle Bonnie? waltz. She kind of swayed. Maybe she's drunk, I don't know. Yeah, drunk on love. <laughs> drunk sure. on lo- Drunk on horniness. Yeah. <laughs> this so is the horny, it's the musical. whole musical. Um, so that's how we feel about the choreo. Okay. Absolutely. So if you haven't figured this out by now, uh, Jeff Calhoun did both the direction and the choreography. Paul, did you notice anything about the direction that you would like to talk about? It's so hard to say because, um, like we said, there's deep endemic problems with the book, the music, and the lyrics already. So how much of it can be saved? How much of it can't? Once again, the only other piece of Jeff Calhoun's work I've seen is Newsies. Based on that and based on this, I'm not sure that Jeff Calhoun's strengths are as a director. Yeah, okay. I think he staged really strong in Newsies, and I think he choreographed really strong. Yeah. I certainly didn't feel any kind of anything especially charming, any kind of real crackle yeah. in the relationships with Newsies, and certainly didn't hear. Yeah, no, definitely There's some um, meh staging. I don't think there's anything remarkable about the staging. Once again, though, the set's also a disaster. We'll get to that in a yes. second. So yeah. maybe he just didn't have a lot to work with. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head yeah. there. I think it's that he didn't have a lot to work with. So yeah. he had these scenelets right? that he had to make sense of, right? Yeah. These tiny, like, little pockets of text, like, that don't last very long. So yeah. how can you establish any, like, level of blocking that is not erratic, right? Yeah. Like, there's no way. And there were no levels on the set, again, which we'll oh. talk about soon. But, like, that could even help you make sense of where you are in time and space. But there, there was just nothing to work with. I think Jeff Calhoun might be a victim in this show. Yeah. I think yeah. there were other things more than that artist as an individual yeah. who were complicit in this. I'd be interested in knowing the timeline of when he signed on to this, when he got Newsies. And, which in, and Newsies would be a gig you can't turn down. And He's like beholden to Bonnie and Clyde because he like said yes. Exactly. Yeah, okay. That makes sense yeah. to me. <laughs> so it's erratic yeah. and not necessarily the director's fault. Yeah. So Ben Brantley also really didn't like the direction oh. and the quote sort of choreography. <laughs> yeah, That's what he called it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I really like this quote. There is even, heaven help us, a breadline tableau in silhouette somewhere along the way. <laughs> heaven help us. Yeah, heaven help us. Just so that we don't forget, it's the depression. For me, at least, this um, direction in choreo is going to get, I think, the highest rating of everything we've talked about so far. Wow. Okay, what is it? What's your rating? Like four. That's exactly what I have written <laughs> And it's the highest four rating monkeys. we've called so far. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself just now, oh, maybe it's five, but no, absolutely not no. five. Maybe if he'd actually choreographed, because he's a good choreographer. I know. We're, we're, we're freaking Tommy Toon, one of the best choreographers in the last 50 years. Yep. <laughs> Should we talk about the design? Do we have to? <laughs> Do 
scenic design and costume design by Tobin Ost. Lighting design by Michael Gilliam. Sound design by friend of the podcast, John Shivers with the good name. Yes, God, John Shivers. <laughs> I think it's we talked about him out. for Leap of Faith, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, projection design by Aaron Rhine. Hair and wig design by Charles Lapointe, who um, recently did Beetlejuice and the Share Show which both have pretty extensive wig actions. So just to give you an idea of what this person's been working on. And then makeup design by Ashley Ryan, plus a million assistants, of course, Absolutely. who deserve credit. Working for... their asses off. Yeah. I'd like you to estimate what the tank top budget was on this show. Stop. Okay, tank here's top what I budget. think happened. Here's what, I, because you know I like to think of things as if they were really happening. I like yeah. to play them out in my mind to make sense of them, okay? This is what I imagine happened. So they recreated Bonnie's dress from those old photos. Totally. And it looks gorgeous. Absolutely. It's so accurate. Yeah. Like her outfits, I think, are, were the most considered. Yeah. And then I think they went downstairs and they were like, whoa, look at this rack of costumes from Oklahoma. Let's just use those. <laughs> of course. Jeremy Jordan came from the Newsies, yeah. New Jersey tryout. <laughs> and he's still wearing his costume. They're like, they're get like, in here. You need to get, get, get into Bonnie and Clyde. Come on, you're on. <laughs> and he's dead and changed, so he's just wearing his whatever Jack Kelly thing. Oh Lucy's. my god, <laughs> it's so true. Like it was, it was all so. Like I imagine he's driving between Paper Mill and Broadway every yeah, night. To do... Yeah. The other thing that I actually <laughs> noticed was the that they had done a good job of distressing the costume pieces, which I appreciate. Yeah. They put sweat stains on it, some dirt, just to remind you, you know, we're in the dust bowl and the depression. This is a gritty show. <laughs> Look at all this dust. Should we talk about the elephant in the room? And I mean the ham and eggs in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I noticed this thing uh, about the projections. And there's this really nice ballad that the two women sing. And they're singing it. And I guess Bonnie is at work. And she works in a diner and there's like a projection of like the menu behind her. Yep. And then like some sort of wall slides out at center stage to show us that Blanche is also singing just in a different world, right? In a different part of the world. Totally. And projected on the wall behind Bonnie, it says ham and eggs (laughs) because it's like the menu from the restaurant. But then because of where Blanche is in space... She's standing next to like ham and, ham and eggs. eggs. Yeah. <laughs> ham and eggs, and then she's singing. And then her face. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, wow, Aaron, Ryan, you, oh. no one said anything. Like you made it through the whole show yeah. without a person being like, oh, maybe we should like not have ham and eggs next to her face. And that sums up this whole design. <laughs> yep. You, every department, oh, you made it through this whole thing and no one said anything, eh? Yeah, nobody wow. said anything. No one said, wow. It's mostly just tank tops and 90s, eh? It's like, we don't have time. We don't have time. No, no one and cares. And I don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want a level? No. You get this one step up. To give, to give some credit. I personally, it's to my taste, I like some of the projections because we're doing a historical thing. Yeah. Where they project some of some actual pictures of Bonnie and Clyde. Um, yeah. I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah, some newspaper clippings. Yeah, that's don't nice. Don't mind that. That's a, and that's a nice use of projection. Yeah. So that's cool. I wrote that the lighting is nice. The lighting is quite nice. Yeah? Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. So do, let's do me, do me a favor. Okay. How would you improve this? Especially the set, because the set's pointless. The set's nothing. I mean, I'm more of a fan of, like, a bare-bones approach. Yeah. That you can then, like, play on, yeah. rather than, like, giving you the kitchen sink. 
yeah. and then feeling tied to those things. Sure. Like that's just my own personal preference. So I would just prefer less stuff. They've got a trap as well that people, but they, yeah. they never lower into the trap. It's like a Spring Awakening thing. Right. So you have to imagine that they maybe just bought that from Spring Awakening. I was thinking, because the car is the thing. And, um, oh, you mean the golf cart? This is a thing in real life. Clyde loved cars. He, and he wrote to um, freaking Henry Ford or whatever, and he was like, right. your car is the nicest car I've ever seen in all my cars. Um, and guns. And guns. I love cars <laughs> and I love guns. And he sings a song in this show, doesn't he? He sings a song with... About cars? About cars, about how much... Or, Oh, of course. Of course, of course. And Jeff Calhoun was like, yeah. you know what? No choreo this time. <laughs> yeah, grease lightning, but no choreo. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not make... And once again, Bonnie and Clyde died behind this car. And Correct. this car became this famous thing. Yeah. Which we don't see in the show. Big problem. How could you not make the car the centerpiece for this show? Right. You know what I mean? Much like Parade used the tree. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you could absolutely them, do that. The Bonnie and Clyde and the Barrow Gang driving around in this car. Yeah. And this car is eventually going to be where they die. Right. Make it a thing. Make it a thing. Put Instead, a roof on it. At one point, they do drive her, Bonnie and Clyde drive around in the car. A little bit. A little bit. They come around a corner. They come I wouldn't around. go so far. Well, isn't as there a scene where they're both sitting? And I, I remember this. And they have like a steering wheel and they're both bouncing to make it seem like they're driving. Yeah, but they're, yeah, but they're stationary. Yeah, and it's like, so Like the bad. car moves to come onto the stage. Yep. It's probably on a track. Yep. And then they bounce. And it's so bad. So Dave, oh. Dave, David, yes, my dear partner, friend, dear friend of the podcast, yeah, um, yeah. caught, uh, I guess, the second half of this as yeah. I was watching and was yeah. like, oh, this has to be the worst thing you've had to watch for the podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, actually, no, no, but but maybe. Anyway, the the point is, is he was like, why is there like he didn't understand the car because yeah. for him the car was not um, of the time. Because it was the way they had done it on stage was a bench, yeah, and then like a long ass steering wheel. And this is important, especially because your partner David is—he's not a theater artist. No. More important, he's a target audience. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. He's a mid-thirties. Yep. Someone who likes the arts who totally. would go see a show like this, and if he doesn't like it, he's going to be grumpy. And he'll tell everyone. Yeah. That so he you want to like you want to play to Dave, Dave, David. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he's like, they should have put a roof on it. And then my argument was like, oh, but maybe that would have complicated the lighting. But then I thought to myself, then you can use the underlighting. Absolutely. And then you're like cooking with gas because you've got this cool lighting thing that's actually kind of simple. But it gives you the idea of what this car is for. So this brings up a much bigger issue that I've been wondering about because we kind of hinted to this at the start of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Everyone liked this show until it hit Broadway. Why? I wonder if... Something got complicated along the way. Okay. Something like, something happened where the Davids of the world liked it, <laughs> and then we got to Broadway and they didn't like it anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it is something as simple as, that looks weird, that car should have a roof on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't understand. This is theater. We don't need that. Yeah. Forgetting who we're actually doing this for. Ugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're no, actually exactly. doing this to be enjoyed. We're doing this to be watchable. Yeah. And if something like that takes an audience member out... Right. We should probably figure out why that is and see what we can do to fix it. Yeah. Instead of going, no, it doesn't matter. That's such a good point. Yeah. All right. So out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are you giving the design? Like four plus one understudy slip because it was a good choice to put Jeremy Jordan in a tank top because he has nice arms. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And they had him almost naked at one point. And that was pretty, he's a very handsome man. Yeah. Yeah. 
In a tub? That's nice. Yep, absolutely. It was it's nice. a nice choice. It's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Play to your strengths. <laughs> <laughs> so like five, right? I say five. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Five because they replicated the dress really, really well. Yeah. And that dress has been traveling around. I don't know if you know that, but oh, really? like it went yeah. to Tokyo for the for the Tokyo production. It's, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you can look up some clips on YouTube. It's amazing to that's hear the so translation. Everyone was dressed. There was sets on the stage yep. that weren't that bad. Nope. Yeah, five. <laughs> it's so tough because I always compare it to where we work at the regional level almost mm -hmm. entirely, so the budgets are far smaller. Right. If we got that set at the regional level, at MTC or Rainbow or yeah. wherever else we work, I'd be like, oh, that's a little under what we usually do. Yeah, you'd, you be know what like, I mean? you'd be like, you'd be like, oh, maybe the designer, maybe the designer director didn't get a chance to like chat about the yeah. concept. Yeah, oh, that's, that's not too bad, but we've done better than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's at the regional level. <laughs> yeah. Uh. There are some sets that you get the sense were meant to play nicely with projections. Mm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I feel like with this show, they didn't quite go far enough in either direction. Like the projections weren't assisting the set. The set yeah. wasn't really assisting the projections. So right. there was just like a... Something in the budget got confused there yes. between who we're supposed to give more love or who yeah. was supposed to support who. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay. Oh. Let's talk about the performances. Do we have to? Or do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it all in this are accent. What are doing? <laughs> Get off the damn porch. Why is everybody yelling? But seriously, everyone was yelling the entire time. And everyone they were yelling yelled. in these incredible accents. That varied oh. to mid Midwest. Oh. The accents in this are so bad. I did not see a credit for a dialect coach. It's either there's a dialect coach who did a terrible job, there was a dialect coach who was so frustrated they took their name off the production. Yeah. Or, or they didn't hire a dialect coach. Yeah. I'm famously bad with accents. Um, anyone who knows me will know this. <laughs> And it actually sounded like this. That's a Clyde, pretty good one. Clyde, you love your guns. Bonnie, I can do anything with a gun. Like, tell me I'm wrong. You guys nope, saw this too. you are not wrong. Let's put the accents aside. Yes, let's. And talk without them. And no matter what we rate, it's minus one for the accents. Okay, good. I think that's appropriate. I think that's very Because it's a disaster. Okay, so Jeremy Jordan sounds fine. I, I think he's got a great voice. Yeah. I really, I like Jeremy Jordan. I liked him in Newsies. I, mm. He's reliable as a singer, oh, you know? Jeremy Jordan, is, that's exactly what he is. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you expect a specific, like, caliber of performance. Absolutely. And he does not disappoint nope. in this show. Not at all. Um, his acting, uh, but that's kind of everyone in the show. So. Yep. I agree. It's mm -hmm. not specific to him. I just think everyone was busy yeah. and tired. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like he's really good at singing and doing push-ups. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all know people like that. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy Jordan, same deal as um, Jeff Calhoun, is in the middle of becoming a star with yeah. Newsies. Yeah. It's especially because this came between the preview and the Broadway opening. That's right. He's got Jack Kelly all in his head and is saving it for that. You know what I mean? He's going to be a star. And he's kind of like falling into that yeah. a little bit with, with this role. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, Laura Osnes, what do you think? I did not like it. I have a hard time with Laura Osnes because I think vocally I enjoy her voice. Mm -hmm. I just find her as a performer a little bit bland, maybe. Yeah. When I was like preparing to do South Pacific, um, sure. 
videos of her came up quite often because she had like I think just done it maybe like a year or two beforehand Mm -hmm. and I was like whoa her Nelly is so chill like everything seems to have a layer of chill to it which is great for you as an actor to be in that headspace but like you also have to like be an actor she's nice in the Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella Great. Um, which yes. I researched a lot when I was getting ready for the production that we did together at Rainbow Stage. Mm-hmm. As we know, that adaptation of Cinderella is an adaptation with a lot of pretty significant problems. It's a hard show to make work. Yep. Really liked our production at Rainbow Stage. It was a joy to work on. Mm-hmm. But man, that's a tough production. That's a tough show to make work just on its own. Yes. Um, especially the character of Cinderella mm-hmm. is tough to work with. Like she sounds great in that. I don't think her voice is quite as well suited to Frank Wildhorn as it is yeah, to Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Like there's, she just pulls a little too legit. Her mix is a little too light yeah. to sing right on that, um, like right on that passaggio mm-hmm. where um, Frank Wildhorn puts her a lot of the time. Yeah. So. So like she lets off a little bit. A there? little bit okay. more than I would like. You yeah. know what I mean? And for that, you want like a um, Leas Longa style power mix, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's not really Laura Osnes. Yeah, no, you're You know what right. I mean? Yep. And it's good. It's good, not great. Good, not great. Especially when you've got the definition of modern Barry Tenor, Jeremy Jordan. That's right. You. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, honorable mentions yep. for me would be the preacher, Michael Lanning, who did, I think, Civil War and yeah. maybe Jekyll and Hyde. He's like got the a other nice voice. Stuff. Gorgeous, yeah. like open. I, I noted him specifically. What yeah. a nice voice. I'm a huge Effortless. fan. Effortless. Hey, like he's like, yeah. it's like he's having breakfast and just boom. Yeah. And yeah. I love that. Oh, oh, yeah. That's oh, what yeah. you're paying the $150. Oh, yeah. For. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Blanche, actually. Yep. Melissa Vanderscafe. I actually yeah. looked up how to say her name. Very nice. Very clear sound, clean sound. Great supporting performance. I would like to give the biggest of honorable mentions <laughs> to our dear friend of the podcast, Talon Ackerman, who <gasps> plays back, young, Talon. who plays young Clyde, <laughs> going for the hat trick of 2011 <laughs> flops. Poor guy managed to be both in Leap of Faith oh. and this in the same year. Oh my god! Oh, what a dear, sweet dear angel. Talon Ackerman. I'd, I'd love to know if he if he likes guns the way Clyde does. <laughs> well, based on what we saw at the start of the show, he, he lo- loves. Them. Well, he can do anything with them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping for great things from young Talon Ackerman because he's paid yeah. his dues more than anyone else oh, yeah. right he's now. He's probably like, what, 20 now? 20? I guess so. He's Early 20s. Be, he's got to be 13 or so. In the, yeah. In this? Sweet oh, baby angel. Sweet baby angel Talon Ackerman. <laughs> so. Okay, wait. I have one more yeah, thing yeah, to go, say. Go, 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 go. <laughs> I wrote, everyone looked as though all hope was lost, <laughs> which yep. is maybe okay because it was the depression. So I couldn't decide if it was like, oh, these are like good performances or Mm -hmm. like, oh, people really are sad that they're in this show. Yeah. But, okay, out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys do you give the performances? Six? Yep. But we also have to do minus one because none of the accents are good. Laura Osnes is especially, but none of them are good. (laughs) Five monkeys. Five, yep. I'm comfortable with that. I have a surprise for you before we get into... Last, um, before we get into Tony's. Yeah. I want to add one special category to this podcast. Oh my God, I'm excited. For special effects. Because they actually do special effects when they people do. get shot. Oh my God, you're so right, they do. Yeah. So they had like squibs. You know yeah. what squibs are, right? They're yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah. the blood packs that explode in, um, in movies and now musicals when someone gets shot. 
So they went out of their way to make sure that there was squibs to go off when Clyde shoots people. That's so true. Like yeah. The, the, okay, yes. And that's, that's just great. Good I for mean, them. They went out of their way to make that work. Yeah. They could have gone the much more tasteful route. Which is Which uh, might have been appropriate because guys, people died. Yeah. But instead <laughs> they were like, <laughs> sorry, maybe this Harvey sarcasm isn't reading. No, I know. It's absurd. <laughs> Ugh. How graphic they went with the violence. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> Especially um, at, toward the end with, with Buck and Blanche. Yeah. yeah. Like, just covered. In blood. Yeah. Now's the time to talk about it. We might as well. And that's the big death at the end. Yeah. This, if this, is this a love story between Bonnie and Clyde? <laughs> then let's have one of them die in each other's arms. You yeah. know what I mean? Make, if this is Star-Crossed Lovers, make this Star-Crossed Lovers. Yeah. Oh. But we just sing about it. And then, well, Bonnie, I hope we never die. The end. Yeah. But we know what happened. It's like, and they don't ever die because they live on in the media. Like you might as well have freaking done like a Buddy Holly and done a, like a concert at the end. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Like that's how they do it in Buddy Holly. <laughs> well, I'm going to get on this plane now. I hope and nothing like, bad happens. And you're like, don't get happened. on the plane. Don't get on the plane, buddy. <laughs> buddy, no. And now here's a concert. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. A concert in heaven. Don't do it, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Turn yeah. yourselves in. <laughs> This is actually supposed to be TYA, where the kids in the audience like, Don't, don't, don't do, do it, Bonnie and Clyde! <laughs> That's actually a really exciting concept for the rebound really of Bonnie and Clyde. It's the TYA Well, Bonnie. it should be a cautionary tale. Right? Or something. Either make it a cautionary tale or go all in. Or go all in. But they did neither. Yeah. Like, I mean, as we learned from American Psycho, going all in doesn't actually help all the time, but... But at least, okay, and this is the thing that I never thought I would say, but at least American Psycho has a point to yep. it. Absolutely. I was going to say, because, like, there's no real moral here. No. Wow. Like, there's no, like, don't get into crime, or yeah. getting yeah. horny on crime is bad. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or getting horny on crime is good. Neither. Yeah, neither. <laughs> like, they don't do, like, a, I don't know, like a natural born killers thing, where it's, yeah. like, Ooh, I'm so into how famous we're getting for crime. Yeah. And that's bad. It's just like, that, that happened. <laughs> that happened. I think the musical, musical ended and I laughed. I was like, are you kidding me? That's it? Yeah, that's yeah. how it is. After an act two that is like five hours long. We didn't talk about this in the book. The act two is so long. So long. There is viewers of the podcast. Jill knows this because we've worked together as creatives a lot. There's nothing I hate more. First of all, then a two-act play, everything should be one act all the time. Yeah. If it's going to be two-act, act two should be no longer than 40 minutes. Yes. If you can't say it in 40, act one can be as long as it wants. Yeah. Make it like two hours, that's okay. Yeah. But then I'm going to go get another drink, I'm going to get a snack. Exactly. And you have 40 more minutes to wrap it up, and I'm going to want to go to a restaurant or something. Yeah. So yeah. wrap it on up. <laughs> I this... have a reservation. Exactly. And I need yeah. to get there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> act two feels like it's five hours long, and then it doesn't even end. That's the point of it. The show is, is that Bonnie and Clyde live on. <laughs> they, live, they live forever. And they never end. They live in all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are all Bonnie and Clyde. We get to the this final curtain call and it just starts over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, like a snaky tail Ouroboros. No. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde is purgatory. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. What else was going on this year? The what a weird year this was. <laughs> okay. If anyone would like some additional. Uh, information about this Tony year, you can go back to our most recent episode, Leap of Faith, because yeah. guess what? It was all in the same Tony year. Yeah, which is insane to me. This was, we'd already talked about what a bizarre Tony year this was. Yep. Things like Newsies mm -hmm. and uh, Once, Crushing Peter and the It Left Star and Right. Catcher. Peter and the Star Catcher. 
This one didn't... Did it receive any nominations? Two. It didn't do a performance at the it Tonys. It did not perform because... And my assumption yeah. is because A, it was already closed. Yeah. But B, because Jeremy Jordan was performing in Newsies. And also Talon Ackerman was already booked for Leap of Faith. Right, and he was yeah. doing Leap of Faith. So they're like, our whole cast is gone. They've moved on. Yeah. Let's just not. It's this very bizarre thing of Newsies bulldozing this. And it would be sad if this was a better show. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because this show's terrible. There's like a weird quote from Jeff Calhoun that's like, I've never been part of a show that closed when it was playing like a hit. Is and I don't know if that's like, like a, a delusion or... There's no way this was playing like a hit. So <sighs> it was an incredibly stacked year. Laura Osnes was nominated for Best Actress in a Musical, but lost to Audra McDonald, of course. Oh, robbed. For... Laura Osnes was robbed. Oh, sure. Get Laura. Uh, <laughs> Audra McDonald's one of the best musical theater actresses of our time. Yep. Very good. Hot take from Monkeys and Playbills. Audra McDonald is pretty good. Yeah, and we'll probably never get to talk about her. I think the other thing they were nominated for was Best Original Score. <laughs> Pardon me. I know. <laughs> I know. You'd never know it was a wild horn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good you wouldn't even know it. You would have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so those were their two nominations. Oh. No performance, no wins, no. and uh, the show disappeared into infamy, much like the homicidal couple themselves. Yeah, and it's also, correct me if I'm wrong, we're going for the hat trick for this Tony year, right? We are. Because we're pretty sure, in two, well, you'll hear what we're going to talk about in two weeks, but it's going to be another show that was in this Tony season. Yes. We Three just want to get them all done. Yes. Like we're like, just fire <laughs> off the 2012s. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dear friend of the podcast, Ali Fulmick, <laughs> watched this with um, Daph and I, producer Daph and I, and when asked whether this show should be a musical, dear friend of the podcast, Ali Fulmick said, No! And I am inclined <laughs> to agree. Mean by that? <laughs> yeah, what do they actually mean by that? Like, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if we've learned anything, ugh, it's that no. Definitely not. Under no circumstances. Maybe in the hands of someone who cared at some point, you could mm -hmm. make this into like a tragic love story. But still, guys, people died. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. And really brutally. It's not compelling enough to no. to justify that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Ugh. there's no nuance to be explored here. Yeah. So all of that to say, is this a flop? Is this a secret bop somehow? Or do we need to make this stop? Make it stop, please God, end it, is what I wrote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Make it stop. It's like an experiment to see how boring you can make a musical. <laughs> it's like a performance art piece. Can you make a Broadway musical that's not entertaining in any way? The answer is obviously yes. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. And considering the source material, like, I'm impressed they managed to make it this boring. That is, yeah, yeah no, that's Absolutely. such a good point. They really must have tried oh, right. to make it boring. We're hoping that next week, or next podcast, we're going to watch something that we actually at least have fun with. But to share in this timeless love story with you all <laughs> this on dear this Valentine's, Valentine's Day, Day <laughs> is so <laughs> apropos. Meaningful. It's a meaningful, meaningful time. Yeah. And I've had the best time. I have had the absolute best time. I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> um, except maybe I would change the premise of this podcast to shows that ran over a thousand performances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week 
we're very excited next week. We have a very special guest. Best friend of the podcast. Best friend of the podcast. <laughs> dear friend of mine, extremely close friend of Jill's, mm-hmm. Stephanie Sai is going to talk about 2011's Lysistrata Jones. You will not want to miss that. You will not want to miss this. You won't believe it. Do yourself a favor. Don't look up Lysistrata Jones at all. Just tune in next time and we're going to tell you what it's about and you won't believe it. It's so weird. <laughs> Honestly, if you can spell Lysistrata Jones without us coaching you on that, like, right, exactly. that's already really yeah. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, rate, review, subscribe, connect, uh, call us. Yep. No, don't call. Call. To text us. Text us. Check out Tits and Teeth. Yeah. Dear friends of the Jen podcast, and Kyla. Tits and Teeth. Amazing Thanks, artists doing amazing things. Yeah. We'll and see you next you. time. Bye. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening, and join us next week where we take on Lysistrata Jones. Thank you so much, Monkeys and Playbills, for having us on for a minute. My name is Jen Thiessen. And I'm Kyla Musselman, and we are the ladies of Tits and Teeth Podcast. <laughs> Tits and Teeth Podcast is an all-inclusive platform dedicated to musical theater. We aim to educate and inspire by highlighting stories from the world's most prestigious creators. We are dedicated to breaking barriers, preserving and passing down the legacy of our predecessors, all while sparking some joy and a maybe having a little cocktail along the way. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. Our highest ambition is to serve the theatre and dance community on their journey with the hopes of helping them thrive as both humans and artists. You can find us on Instagram at Tits and Teeth Podcast. Our Twitter is at Teeth Tits and our website is titsandteethpodcast.com. So if you love theatre and you love dance and you love the sound of our voices, <laughs> Come join us. All of our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, and Stitcher. We'll see you there, legends. And whatever you're doing, make sure you keep those tits up, those teeth out, because you got this, we got you, and we bloody love you. Bye, legends. Bye, legends. (laughs)